are entering the Freedom Hut. The shutdown continues, and with it, the Pelosi and Trump showdown. Who got the better side of it today? We'll get into that and also more on the Covington High School kids. The media refuses to learn its lesson. They continue to spread falsehoods and lies. We will tear those apart. And an update on what's going on with the China trade war and a Supreme Court case that could have a huge impact on gun rights across the country. That and more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. That not only is the president holding the American people and America's workers hostage, he's holding the Republicans in the Congress of the United States hostage. Not all of them. Some of them understand what it means in the lives of the American people. We hope that more of them will. Congressional Democrats support smart, effective border security. But we do not support the president holding the health, safety, and paychecks of the American people hostage again to a campaign applause line. There is serious and justified concern that this president would shut down the government anytime he does not get his way legislatively. That is why we must hold the line. The State of the Union speech has been uh, canceled by Nancy Pelosi because she doesn't want to hear the truth. She doesn't want the American public to hear what's going on. And she's afraid of the truth. And the super left Democrats, the radical Democrats, what's going on in that party is shocking. I know many people that were Democrats and they're switching over right now and they're switching over quickly. So I hope they know what they're doing for their party. So far, they haven't. If you know, I won the Senate, meaning we won the Senate all together, but we get no credit for that. They don't talk about that. They talk about the House. So welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. This is turning into quite the back and forth between Nancy Pelosi and Speaker Pelosi and President Trump. As I understand it, the shutdown began. Pelosi extended the invite. Trump said, "Okay, yeah, I'll take the invite to give the State of the Union. And then Pelosi had some nonsense about how there wouldn't be, you know, Secret Service protection or something. And that was just that was just crap. And then, okay, then the invite was Trump said, yeah, I'll I'll take that invite. And then Pelosi's like, psych, no invite for you. Do you remember? Do you remember that, Brandon and Mike? When people used to go, psych, people don't really do that anymore. Oh, God, I miss the 90s. Uh, So this is going to continue on for quite a while. This is not not going to end anytime soon. I think, and I know that there are polls that will tell me that I'm wrong, but I don't care. I know more than polls, said every political analyst ever. Uh, I think Pelosi's losing here. I think the Democrats are losing because they don't really have an argument. Uh, Their argument is is effectively uh, slogans and talking points. And the longer people hear about this, the longer I think we can look at this and all understand uh, that they don't really care about border security. It's not about the money. It's just about the Democrats not wanting to give Trump a win. That's all it is. Uh, Or that's 80% of it. 20% of it is they just want to keep the flow of illegals coming into the country. But uh, most of it is they just know 
that a Trump administration that could go into 2020 saying, see, we keep our promises and we kept our biggest and most profound promise during the campaign trail. Trump will be unstoppable. Kamala Harris, come on. Elizabeth Warren, please. You go down the list. They got nothing. Kirsten Gillibrand, no way. This guy, uh, Buttigieg out of South Bend, Indiana, he just threw his hat in the ring. It's a joke. There's no way. Uh, But there are going to be a lot of candidates. And look, the Republicans have candidates who never got above a few percentage points. Uh, So I'm not saying that this is on just one side. But you look at this. They're not even running their first tier establishment Democrats, really. I mean, Kamala Harris, fine. Cory Booker, yes. But and he hasn't thrown his hat in yet. He will. Elizabeth Warren. I think Elizabeth Warren may have self-destructed in one one fell swoop more than than any politician in recent memory. I think that she's done. I just don't believe that the American people are going to say, yeah, you're one one thousand and twenty fourth Native American. So that's like basically Native American. Sure. I don't believe that. And I think that they'll create real problems for themselves if they essentially legitimize racial fraud, which is what she engaged in. But with Pelosi and and with Trump, though, she hasn't had to deal with someone like Trump before. And I think it's really unnerving. I've seen some pundits say, oh, Trump has never had to deal with somebody like Nancy Pelosi before, a a woman in such a powerful position. And I I don't think that Trump is the one that's unnerved by this at all. Um, I I think that he understood, he responded. um, He responded that, no, responded rather to people who were saying, you've got to follow through on this promise. And the promise was that he would build a wall. The more people learn about a wall, the more clear it is that Trump was right on that all along. And isn't that worth just taking a moment to think about. We have been told by Democrats for three years now, right? All of Trump's time running for office as and running for the uh, general and the primary. But we've been told for all that and since he's been president that a wall is it's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. It won't work. It's, you know, all, all this stuff. We hear all this stuff all the time about the wall And yet now that we are looking at the wall, the fence doesn't matter. Trump was right all along. He was right on that. You know, I'm going to have a a trade expert later on in the show about Trump and China and his willingness to confront China on trade. And what you're going to hear is effectively is very similar in that all the experts were saying, oh, no, you can't do anything about about China. It's terrible. Trade war, trade war, so bad. Free trade, free trade. These are slogans. China needs to be dealt with on these issues because China's acting badly at our expense. The southern border is not secure, but the areas that have been largely secured have sufficient resources, and usually that means offense. Why is it that Trump was the only one who was willing to say these things, though? You know, I, I would note that with all 17 Republican candidates, maybe Ted Cruz toward the end in a last ditch effort. By the way, it is not true. Some of you are going to are going to laugh. at me. It is not true that Ted Cruz inspired me to grow a beard. That rumor has been started. I will put that put that to bed right now, although I do think that it's a good thing 
and that he is um he, he looks a little he looks a little like his beard is kind of I don't know if it's like Civil War general or Wolverine more but it, it, it's it's st- more statesman like I, I think the Cruz beard and the next time I see Senator Cruz I'll, I'll give him a high five for the beard but he wasn't really pushing the wall the way Trump was only Trump was pushing this wall and Ann Coulter in her book Adios America you got to give Ann credit I mean Ann is Somebody recently described Anne to me as not even a pundit. Anne is like her own country, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. And I'm sure Anne would appreciate that. She's got a good sense of humor. Uh, but, you know, she very much gave the president. Producer Mike is saying he definitely looks more like Wolverine. I agree. He, he is. It's more Wolverine like the Cruz beard, you know. You know, now now you feel like he's a little more rough and tumble when, when he wears that Carhartt jacket for the photo op. You're like, oh. That's not the first time Senator Cruz has put on that jacket. You guys all know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, the beard is a, good, is a good look for him. I'm still not sure about my own beard, but it's, I'm not going to be solipsistic like a millennial and talk about the beard at least till the end of the show when we talk about other solipsistic millennials. Uh, I don't think millennials know what that word means. That's why I use it, Producer Mike. I expose them. I expose their millennial ignorance on the left. Solipsism. The center of the... You are the center of the universe. That is what the word means. Um... Uh, like S-O-L, like the sun. You are the center of the universe. So, uh, I, or maybe it's the center of the solar system, whatever. I think that Trump is doing well on this one, but I do like to look at the, at, at the big ideas this administration has been pushing. And at least we're having a full hearing of them. And I think it's amazing to watch how the more knowledge we have on these things. I mean, I, I now routinely crush libs when I debate the wall or the border with them. I mean, they don't even want to talk about it anymore because the facts and, and the reality is on the side of people who say there is a problem, a wall would help, and we need to do something about it. And all the actual experts agree with that. So Pelosi saying this is just a campaign promise is Pelosi doing what she always does, which is just politics without much of a, much of a boost of, of IQ injected into it. I mean, this is just whatever she has to say to try and, and outmaneuver Trump. And she's never dealt with a Republican like him before. Other Republicans would have caved already. And you all know, because I was saying it on the show, when I thought that Trump wasn't even going to have this fight, I was furious. I was furious. I came on the show when we thought it was going to be just, okay, he's going to sign this thing. And I was furious. And Trump listened to people uh, who, like me, I mean, he was, I think, listening Yes, to Ann and to Rush and to people that, that have a voice that he should, by the way, he should listen to. I think it's so funny because, oh, it's terrible. These people are in the country. What? We would rather have the president take the advice of overpaid political consultants, you know, pollsters and, and people that are just creatures of the beltway. Why? Why do they have some great wisdom or knowledge that the president should be listening to? But on this uh, on this possibility of a State of the Union address, um, I like that they're considering alternative venues for it. I think that that's that's a good move. I do have some concerns about the 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 way that this all ends is that the airports essentially become a complete a complete nightmare, a complete disaster. I think that there's a real possibility that if you have widespread TSA sick outs where they're just not showing up, which people are already saying it's going up. By the way, I think the the rate for last week a year ago when they were doing a comparison was, you know, one percent or two percent were out, and this it was 
five or something. It wasn't some huge number, but it, it, it's going to get bigger. Uh, that, that the Republicans finally say, all right, that's too much, and they cave. And at that point, for Trump to declare a national emergency to get it done, you know, that would that would also be something that comes with its own set of consequences. And I do get, when you have someone like Ocasio-Cortez saying something as fundamentally stupid and, and really demented as 12 years from now, the world is going to end if we don't have a Green New Deal and tackle climate change. And people cheer for this and clap like that's something that any normal human being should be saying. Uh, it does worry me that the president's declaring a national emergency based upon their judgment unless it is really, really, really clear. I do think the border is a national emergency, but I know that if that precedent is set by this president, heaven forbid, the next time we have a Democrat and it's, you know, probably going to be 2024 and it looks like it might be President Ocasio-Cortez. I know she doesn't know anything, but liberals don't care. They don't care. You guys can look at me like I'm crazy. They just do not care that she doesn't know anything. Sounds right. Like the, They like the whole package. She's, you know, a, a socialist and she owns it and they're all into it. So 2024, here we come. Um, I'm feeling very confident about Trump's chances in 2020. I know that can all change, but special counsel is not going to take him down. Uh-uh, no way. And the media's credibility is worse than it was the first time around when he ran. He's going to just be able to pummel them and it'll be highly amusing and very much deserved. And the economy's strong, made a lot of good decisions, great on judges. Although, you know, a friend of mine brought up recently, what about the possibility of, from a strategic jurisprudence perspective, Supreme Court Thomas retiring, deciding that he's going to retire and allow Trump uh, in the next 12 months to replace Justice Thomas. Now, I don't, you know, it's going to be hard to replace Justice Thomas with somebody that is of that caliber and that kind of truly conservative constitutional, uh, constitutionally sound approach. But it might be a good idea to get that Supreme Court really conservative. I mean, we should just go all in on this. This notion of the, the, the era of pretending like we're all going to agree on a centrist Merrick Garland-like candidate, uh, that's, a, that's a laugh because the centrists always go for the libs. And we know this. I can't even trust. We can't even trust John Roberts. You mark my words. Before Trump's administration is out, John Roberts is going to deal a crushing blow to constitutional conservatism with at least one, if not a couple of decisions where you where you sit there and say, was this guy been reading out of the Communist Manifesto? What is his problem? But I'm telling you. He's an institutionalist more than he's a conservative. So you can expect that to happen. I got a little more on the Pelosi-Trump feud. I know we're running out of time. I've got updates on the Covington situation. I'm going to talk to you about the truth of the back and forth over Trump-China trade. Um, We've got to talk to you about a gun case, Second Amendment gun case out of New York City with big implications. Going to make fun of the media. Going to have roll call. I've got a phenomenal guest, by the way, on immigration coming up in the next hour he worked down at the border as a prosecutor in the border region as a prosecutor. And man, he's got some great stuff to tell you about. That's all coming up. Together, we'll make America more safe by passing common sense legislation to end the epidemic of gun violence. But we will make America more American by protecting dreamers and TPS recipients. 
We will make America more just by protecting people with pre-existing conditions, expanding access to health care, and lowering the price of prescription drugs, and defending Medicare and Medicaid. And we will strengthen our democracy by passing the Equality Act, that is an act to end discrimination against LGTB community. I'm not surprised. It's really a shame uh, what's happening with the Democrats. They've become radicalized. Uh, they don't want to see crime stop, which we can very easily do on the southern border. And it really is a shame uh, what's happening with the Democrats. Uh, this will go on for a while. Ultimately, the American people will have their way because they want to see no crime. They want to see what we're doing. Like today, we lowered prescription drug prices the first time in 50 years. They want to see that the Democrats would never have been able to do that. So we're all working very hard. We'll have to respond to it. We'll respond to it in a timely manner. Thank you very much, everybody. I like this. I like that we get to hear the different agendas. I, 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 this is politics. You got Nancy Pelosi, who's just mumbling some nonsense about common sense gun reform. You know, if it's so common sense, you shouldn't have to say it. You know, uh, that that to me is a tell. But as Trump is saying that, you know, he's got an agenda that he wants to follow through on and things that would be really beneficial for the American people. Ultimately, Pelosi knows that none of her agenda is going through. It's not happening. Uh, Trump won't allow that to happen because he thinks that her ideas are bad. And I think her ideas are bad. But I do think that it's important for them to be aired out in front of all of uh, the at least the American people who are paying attention to this. For those Americans who avoid caring about politics, I I envy them. Uh, that's a nice that's a nice thing. I'm, I guess a political junkie can't help it. But uh, the shutdown is is going to be a, a real test of wills here. The heat is definitely going to get turned up as you have people going longer without paychecks. Although I would also know that Pelosi has made it very clear. She doesn't, you know, this is what Democrats do all the time. They pretend to care so much about the little guy or little gal who's in a rough place and, you know, not getting their paycheck. But yeah, Pelosi, please, she's going to. She's going to jaunt off on her boondoggle overseas. She got, she probably got better things to do than worry about the TSA employees. I'll be honest with you. Uh, in her own mind, at least. She thinks she does. So this caring so much about the, the little guy is one of the Democrats' favorite ploys. And it's so full of it. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi. She's the everyman. Or every woman. Uh, Covington. We got to do that. It's coming up. Why didn't you walk away? Well, now I wish I would have walked away. I didn't want to be disrespectful to Mr. Phillips and walk away if he was trying to talk to me. What do you think that looks like? I see it as a smile saying that this is the best you're going to get out of me. You won't get any further reaction of aggression. And I'm willing to stand here as long as you want to hit this drum in my face. There's something aggressive about standing there, standing your ground. You both stood your ground. And it was like a stare down. What do you think of that now when you think about that moment? Oh, I would say Mr. Phillips had his right to come up to me. I had my right to stay there. Um, our school uh, was slandered by the African-Americans who had called us all sorts of things. Savannah Guthrie is a classic mainstream media hack. Nothing, you know, she looks the part, she sounds the part, she's played the game at NBC or whatever, and and now this is somebody that we're supposed to take seriously, I, for reasons I don't know. 
doesn't have any expertise in anything, wasn't a great wasn't a great uh, journalist at a newspaper, doesn't write, doesn't, you know, it's just she's a she's a TV presenter, she's basically an actor. And she obviously takes the most popular left of center view she can on any issue always. Right. And I've seen enough of her stuff to know that this is her shtick. It's it's like the Matt Lauer shtick, who she used to obviously work with at NBC. You know, this is what these broadcast news hosts do. Right? They try to find a way to seem like they're being fair, but it's always a little always a little skewed, isn't it, to the other side? Always pretty clear that they're really not interested in being down the middle. And you saw that in this in this exchange. I mean, she's saying there's something aggressive about standing your ground. Why is that aggressive? If somebody walks over to you, which is what Phillips did. Remember, this is Nick Sandman, who was the Covington High School student who was captured in the the most uh, clear footage of, of him is up close where he's with uh, this guy Phillips. Um why does Nick Salmon have a dude? Is he supposed to run away because a guy walks over to him and starts banging a drum in his face? That that's so. It, so it's not. Isn't that an interesting way to think about this, though? The way that Savannah Guthrie frames this. First of all, she's talking to a 15 year old kid. Okay, who's now doing a national news interview, and and she she says, you know, don't. It's aggressive for you to stand there. No, I think people would would argue that it's it's insane to think that he's supposed to run away. He didn't mean this man any harm. He wasn't he had no aggressive intent. The guy walked up to him, banging his drum in his face, and he just looked at him. Aggressive? You might say it's defensive, which I think is understandable under the circumstances, but to suggest that there was an aggression in this, um it's it's bizarre, really. Uh, I think it's a very strange thing for Guthrie to ask him. But you understand, she's she's trying to make sure that her mostly lib audience thinks that, you know, she's representing their view of how he should be questioned. Well, uh, I, I want to know when Phillips is going to be asked any questions. And I want to know when the black Israelites who were present will be asked some questions. Where is the oppo research on them? When when do journalists ask the adults, including the adults who are yelling anti-gay slurs, racist slurs, threatening the students, and just generally acting like maniacs. And everyone knows that the black Israelites act this way. I've, I have heard the black Israelites up close and personal. Uh, have you ever, have you ever uh, heard them, Brandon? I'm assuming probably many times. Just in the video, sure. I mean, but you, so you've heard them, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, on the street in New York. They're, they sit in Times Square and they yell crazy things at people. Really belligerent, nasty things. Uh, so when, but when do they have to answer any questions about their conduct? Why do we take this position? Why is the assumption automatically that it is, you know, uh, Nick Sandman's issue? It is his problem that he has to be the one to deal with this. He's the 15 year old kid, but there's, there's more of this. Uh, there's more of this, uh, where Guthrie just makes it quite clear as well that, you know, there's, there's some of the responsibility here is just. The Trump support. That's part of this. Play three. Do you think if you weren't wearing that hat, this might not have happened or it might have been different? That's possible, but I would have to assume what Mr. Phillips was thinking, and I'd rather let him speak for why he came up to us. The kid's doing very well, I would note. You know, knowing, you know, don't put words in someone else's mouth. I mean, he's 
I saw today criticism from people in the media about, oh, he's obviously had PR uh, teaching on this. Of course he has. You know, and, and, and please, is, does anyone think that that Sandra uh, Sandra Fluke, when she was making the rounds or that David Hogg, when he was making the rounds, that they didn't have immense PR and, and media assistance and help from the left wing apparatus that rallies to young people when they find it convenient to do so for political purposes? Of course, of course that happened. Uh, but she asks him if it's if it's the fault of the MAGA hat. And there's a bit of a something a little Freudian about this, because really, this is why when you uh, and you add that on to the fact that these are all mostly white students from a school that is a Catholic institution and they had just marched for life and they are autumn. All those things are those are strikes against these students in the eyes of the media. They are. They just are. I, I, I won't get into this. You know, later we'll talk about priests and some of the priests that have weighed in on this issue. I just I don't understand how you can be a Catholic and vote Democrat. I really mean I, I just don't get it. Uh, you know, it's the church teaching on abortion could not be any more clear. And yet, I mean, the Democratic Party, the one thing you have to be to be a Democrat. No, no choice. No wiggle room. Nothing. There's no big tent for pro-life in the Democratic Party. It does not exist anymore. And people who pretend that they are a part of it, it's a fraud. Wants And what Pelosi wants is to be able to abort a baby, you know, when it's out of the womb. I mean, it doesn't even matter. They're just, they are savage on this issue. And I don't understand how a Catholic can be okay with that. I just, I, I don't. Um, but, uh, and I know many of you who are listening who are Christians of other denominations also feel that way about, you know, whether you're a Protestant or you're an evangelical um, but it's it's really mind-boggling to me. But they don't like these kids because of all of this. They don't like those kids for they don't like these kids for those reasons. Um, and, and then of course they have to take what they're the conclusions that they jump to, the media jump to, they have to ask those questions of these kids as though that's a reasonable or rational thing for anyone to think. There's nothing racist about what these kids did. There's nothing racist that they said. There's nothing racist in their in their actions. They didn't ask for this. They didn't instigate this. And they didn't do anything. So why are they being asked questions like they did? Um, play uh, clip two here. Do you think it was a good idea to start chanting back at the protesters? In hindsight, I wish we had just found another spot to wait for our buses. But uh, at the time... Being positive seemed better than letting them slander us with all of these things. So I wish we could have walked away. Did anyone shout any insults back or any racial slurs back at the group? Uh, we're a Catholic school and it's not tolerated. We're, they don't tolerate racism and none of my classmates are racist people. I mean, I can tell you this, if anyone in my Catholic school had yelled out a racial slur, uh, they would have been lucky if they didn't get expelled. So uh, this this idea, I mean, think about what the media imbeciles really think here. Think about Savannah Guthrie, you know, with her multi-million dollar contract to go on TV to do a job that a thousand other people could do better. But, you know, NBC brass likes her or whatever. Um, Think about what they're suggesting here. 
that at this school for uh, for boys in Kentucky, somebody could just casually throw out some some racial slur. There were adults present. There were, um, you know, not hall monitors. What do you call them? Well, chaperones. Thank you. There were hall monitors there ready to take action. Excuse me, sir. Do you have a pass? Uh, no, but there were adults present. And they ne- that never would be OK. There is no school in America. No Catholic school in America, to be sure, where you could yell out racial slurs at adult strangers nearby and the adults that are there monitoring you would not have had an absolute fit over it. And rightly so. But just notice that they're getting they're asking these questions. I mean, this is I mean, Savannah Guthrie is essentially asking the kind of questions that in a different context, people would say, so you're just asking if their skirt was too short, huh? I know they're boys, but you get what I'm saying. You know, you're you're just asking, you know, were, were you asking for it? Now, that's what the thrust of this interview with Guthrie is. I mean, it, it's it's appalling. It's appalling. People are doubling down in the media after they've been exposed as idiots and frauds on this question. I mean, that's why it's such a national news story still. And this, I think it's still the biggest news story in the country right now other than the shutdown. People are really talking about this because the media just does not learn their lesson. And what you realize is that they don't even care. They don't care if they get this stuff wrong. They have an agenda. They are there to serve a purpose. They're there to support, to bolster a point of view and use their platforms to do that and to shut down and shout down people that are oppositional to that agenda. People like you and me, we're at least almost all. I always got to remember there are Democrats listening to this. You guys do write me sometimes like, I'm a Democrat and I like your show. Yeah, send me some Democrat messages on Facebook. I like hearing from the the stealth Democrats. I'm not going to out you Democrats who listen to the show. It's cool. You're welcome. Welcome to Team Buck, Democrats. We're slowly but surely bringing you into the light. It's a good thing. Uh, We'll be back with a little more on this Covington update situation. So stay right there. I was doxxed three separate occasions before we posted that video. And the threats, they've been horrible. I've never heard such cruel things wished upon another human being. It ranges from getting locked inside a building and burned alive to sexually assaulted by the clergy members. It's it's just awful. This is what's happening to these kids. Their private information is being put online and people are finding them and reaching out to them online or or however they can and saying the most horrific things to them. And I have to bring this back to this just shows you that the left is insane. Because the reason people hate these kids is because of their political beliefs. It is because they are progressives who believe all this stuff that they're being told about the world is ending in 12 years because of climate change and all ethnic minorities in America are deeply oppressed and essentially white people in America have to make huge amends for all the terrible stuff that they're still doing and and white male patriarchy is the root of all evil in this country. I mean, they believe that stuff. They believe that. And so that's why they would then act in such completely horrific and insane fashion as to threaten threaten kids who didn't even do anything. I saw today a a, a thread of different, uh, and this is all in the, you know, in the online battles that are being waged among the the blue checks, which you all know is just verified journalists on Twitter, uh, but sometimes I'll use blue checks as a shorthand. But the blue checks were fighting about this, and people were saying, 
they were, they were trying to draw comparisons between the these the Covington kids and Trayvon Martin. And I'm like, wait, what? I actually heard somebody on Fox News, somebody who I know and, and actually on a personal level like, and I won't name her now because I don't want you guys to yell at her on Twitter. But she said, you know, well, you look at Trayvon Martin and, and Barack Obama said, you know, that would have looked like my son and how people, and I'm like, wait, why are we talking about Trayvon Martin? Trayvon Martin was a six foot tall, 180 pound, 18 year old who was trying to pound somebody's head open on the pavement and just happened to be tangling with a guy who was a concealed carry permit holder, a weirdo and not a good guy. I'm not, you know, Zimmerman's not somebody that anybody should, you know, think is a hero or a good guy. But, you know, you're going to bash somebody's head in the sidewalk. They got a gun. They're going to shoot you. And that's what happened. I, I just and I'm hearing this. I saw some kind of like a third tier pundit. I can't remember his name and I wouldn't say it if I could. Oh, but over at MSNBC and this tweet went mega viral. I mean, like over 100,000 retweets and shares and uh, or re- retweets and likes. And it was something along the lines of, you know, white teenager acts badly. Um, oh, he's just a kid. Black teenager, black teenager acts badly, or you know, he's no angel, and and I, and I believe it was in reference to Trayvon, the, the Trayvon Martin discussion. But even if it, even if it wasn't, I'm just the these kids. Why is this all of a sudden a reflection of people's you know racial politics? You know, whatever they think the country's ra- racial politics may be, the kids didn't do anything. They, they, there, there was no racial uh, racial incident except for the black adults present who were yelling racial slurs at the kids, and by the way, yelled a racial slur at a black student who was with the Covington kids, which I can't repeat on air. But why do we even talk about this? Like it's some kind of a like there was the only incident was the media lying about it. But there's still this. Hope, you know, they're still they're so grasping it. Maybe there was something. They wore those MAGA hats. Ooh, MAGA hats are they're triggering for libs. They can't handle it. The only people who have suffered here, I would note also, the adults aren't getting death threats. Meaning uh, Phillips, who by the way did not serve in Vietnam, refers to himself as a Vietnam Times vet. I'm sorry, but if you're a vet, you're a vet. God bless and thank you for your service. No one should be lying about what they did in any job. And to say you are a Vietnam Times vet and have the whole media saying you're a Vietnam vet has a very specific implication. The guy was, from what I understand, seeing the records today in a riflery unit for two days stateside and then served as a refrigerator mechanic. Now, logistics people, totally honorable. I'm not putting that down at all. I'm just saying, you know, you don't run around. I can tell you this from the CIA side, I'm not pretending that I was doing dead drops and, you know, smuggling people out of the country on during black ops with unmarked helicopters and stuff. No, I've, that's the way that I conduct myself in the CIA or about my background, the CIA. I try to be honest about it all the time. I just expect people to be honest. That guy's not honest. Um, but, you know, they're not getting any threats. They're not having anything bad happen to them. But here's more of what happens to the Covington students. Play five. There have been many threats uh, against our lives, against our parents. Some of these threats include um, that we should all be locked in the school and it should be burnt to the ground, um, the school being bombed, uh, school shooting threats. Um, it's really scary. People threatening to bomb and burn down the school. The kids didn't do anything. The media and the adults that were present in this encounter, they're the ones that people should be asking some really tough questions to. And you know what? 
We all know that's not going to happen. When do you want to spot that burglar? When he's actually doing a casing of your home or when he's already broken in? Well, ask John because his blink camera alerted him to burglars trying to break in while he and his family were home. Or Shannon, whose blink camera caught a thief stealing packages. Both times, blink video clips were sent to police to help convict the crooks. Blink motion-activated indoor and outdoor cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on two AA batteries that last up to two years. And if you're traveling, Blink's live feed option lets you monitor your home and check in on pets from anywhere using the Blink smartphone app. No contracts, no subscriptions, totally affordable, and Blink works with Alexa. Blink camera systems make great gifts, and they're a brilliant way to monitor your package deliveries. You know, there's a lot of those doorstep thieves running around these days. Visit BlinkProtect.com dot com slash buck that's blink protect dot com slash buck one more time b-l-i-n-k protect dot com slash buck blink is an amazon company i'm aghast that he voted for border barrier several times in the past but he doesn't vote for one now because he does not want to give president trump a win he's putting his political hatred this president over his responsibility to protect this nation you don't need the government reopen to negotiate the people at the negotiating table they're getting paid the Democrats are proposing bills. I reviewed one this morning. They want to cut ICE detention beds in half, which will double the amount of catch release, which shows, again, the Democrats are not serious about border security. They want open borders, and their bills that they're proposing right now support that ideology. And there you have the former uh, acting director of Immigration and Customs Enforcement saying on national TV what I've been saying to you all along, which is that the Democrats will not say it, But all of their actions point toward they want a state of near open borders, effectively. They they do not want illegal immigration to end. It is not correct to say that they agree or they they share our long term goal here. And a major part of this is the conversation over the wall. They they say that walls don't work. That is that is a, a stupid talking point. It is untrue. It is obviously untrue. And I told you about what's going on at the Tijuana, San Diego border wall because I was there last week. I want to bring somebody in who brings another perspective of of where the wall has worked and how it has worked. Uh, Matt Pinsker joins us now. He uh, he wrote a piece for National Review that caught my attention. Walls work. Just ask this community college on the southern border. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for joining us, man. I appreciated your piece in National Review. By the way, you're a, a prosecutor by trade, right? Well, I was a special prosecutor. I'm actually working now as a defense attorney. That's really what I do at heart is a special assignment called up by the Army and assigned to the Justice Department for six months. I was on the border handling cases, thousands of criminal cases of illegal entry, as well as cartel activity. When uh, my deployment was up, I returned home and reopened my law practice doing criminal defense. I went from one side back to the other. All right, cool. So I I wanted to ask you about what you write uh, right on with this piece, Laredo Community College solved its illegal immigration problem with an eight foot tall mile long fence. Set the scene a little bit. What do we need to know about Laredo Community College? Where is it located? What, why do we why does this come up? Absolutely. Laredo Community College is a very picturesque, very beautiful college campus that at first looks like any other college in America. Very scenic and unique to it is that it is situated literally just one hundred and one hundred and fifty yards from the Rio Grande itself, it is literally right there on the border. And just like everywhere else on the border around town, they're having problems with illegal immigration and cartel activity, which are actually one and the same. But uh, you know, multiple times a week, they're getting phone calls about illegal immigrants going through campus. And usually they left people alone, but there were reported assaults, 
thefts and other problems. And of course, Border Patrol would chase them through campus. You can imagine if you're a place of work, multiple times a week you're having law enforcement chases and hot pursuits through campus. Yeah, even if there wasn't an additional crime, I think it's understandable for people that are going to college to have the the cops chasing down illegals actually right on the campus. That that might put some people on edge. And also there are safety risks if the cops have to travel at high speed in a car. I mean, there's stuff that goes on. And here's what really set people on edge. The cartels, the bloodthirsty people who, like ISIS, put up videos of them hacking people apart. They were conducting major truck drug transactions on the college campuses, tennis courts, and parking lots. I mean, that's obviously a threat to student safety. And what did, do you fix this? Do you put an end to this? They erected just a one-mile border fence. Not at all, just a simple eight-foot-tall fence. Not even a tall fence, so that's just eight-foot broad iron fence, uh, black posts. They put them in, just one mile in length. And overnight, it went to practically zero issues with illegal immigration or cartel activity on campus. And here's the other side of it. People say, oh, they'll just go around it. Well, yes, when they go around it, though, it creates a choke point for Border Patrol to lie in wait. It redirects it, it funnels them into a choke point. Or if they do try to go over it or under it, again, it slows them up a couple minutes. But all Border Patrol needs is a couple extra minutes to arrive in time. I mean, cameras, motion detectors, they only work if you can arrive in time to, get to uh, stop them. And so many times, you know, I was out on patrol with U.S. Border Patrol, and we'd respond, but we couldn't get there in time to uh, stop them. Just a couple minutes. Talk to anyone in law enforcement. They'll tell you that they had just a two to three extra minutes of response time for a situation. That'll make all the difference in the world. And that's what the fence did. It worked great. And why can't the rest of America have the same protection and benefits as a community college? Well, what do you think when, when you hear people? I It's still on TV. You'll have supposedly serious journalists, talking heads, and others say, Walls don't work. Do you think that they're just engaging in, in actively dishonest propaganda or they just don't know or because it's just it seems so obvious. And there are all these stories. I was at San Diego. You're talking about Laredo. These fences that have been up and maybe we should all just start calling it a fence now. So people stop freaking out about a wall. Uh, they've proven themselves. I just don't understand how we're still even how it's still even a, an open question. Never mind a talking point for Democrats to say we shouldn't do more of this. You know, I agree with you 100 percent. It's like arguing if, if uh, the earth is round or flat. And maybe the best way to look at it is, you know, one third of Americans think 9-11 was inside job. One third of Americans think that the moon landing was a hoax. Uh, maybe that's just the best, best place to put it. Uh, you know, just some people, despite all logic, common sense and reason, take very bizarre positions. And, you know, that's being charitable. I think some people are just being deceptively dishonest. Look at statements from Schumer from nine years ago and President Barack Obama as well for when he was in office supporting the wall. Now things suddenly flip-flops? Come on. I, I don't believe that they actually changed their mind about that, not for a second. Now, so you, you were down there on the border and, and you were working for, for the government and in and, uh, and, and that role you said as, as a prosecutor working alongside law enforcement. Uh, what do you think about this? You know, one, one of the new... Uh, I shouldn't say talking points. One of the new issues that's come up in the last couple of weeks is people say, well, okay, fine. The opioid crisis is terrible. We all have to read it is terrible. It's a it's a national scourge. It's an epidemic. Seventy thousand plus people a year are dying. 
but 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 all the drugs are coming through ports of entry so offense doesn't matter i mean i just my response my initial response is first of all uh we should do whatever we can to make it harder for the cartels in general to do what they're doing including the fencing so anything that raises the cost of doing business and and raises their failure rate is good or just to know what they're talking about the reason i can say that is i saw with my own eyes because i personally handled cases where people, yes, sometimes they throw out through ports of entry, other times they try to sneak it across other ways. So let's give an example. We had a case involving about 300 pounds of marijuana that was being stuck across the river uh, you know, over a privately owned ranch. Obviously, that's not a ports of entry, and that's uh, you know, quite a lot of marijuana coming across. Or another example, the Mexican cartels abducted a guy at the bus station in Laredo, and after they beat him a little, they dragged him to the border, held a gun to his head after and put drugs on him and told him to cross the river into America. So the people who are saying that they only, you know, that comes across ports of entry, that's just false. Now, we probably catch a lot coming over ports of entry. Uh, and but that's because that's where the law enforcement is set up. That's what I keep saying to people. We don't catch a truck that goes over the border that no one sees. Exactly. It's frustrating. I mean, no one knows exactly what's coming over. We have some guesses, guesses and estimates. But the fact that people are making claims about you know, what we can't detect, that's just ridiculous. What do you think about the president's as somebody who was down there and actually worked on this on border security in a professional fashion? What do you think about the president's proposal from this past weekend Pretty, on the security side? Forget about DACA. Pretty good to the Democrats. It is extremely generous. And if uh, under any other circumstances, any other president, they'd have jumped on in a heartbeat. In fact, it's a deal I would normally have expected a Democrat to offer to the Republicans to get the deal through. I mean, it's, it's for everything that they've asked for and then some. Uh, you know, I just cannot believe that po- po- uh, politics is so polarized that they're just not going for something. That's such a good deal, not just for the Democrats, but it's a good deal for America, though, to have that fence erected. When were you down there, by the way, and what was the roughly speaking, um, you know, day in and day out, how many illegals were crossing in your sector? Sure. So I was down there in 2018. My deployment ran from July through December. So six months. You, so you were uh, just down there. Of TDY. Oh, yeah. Got back, got home for my deployment a few weeks ago. Um, and on any given day, I was prosecuting 75 to 200 people for illegally entering America the prior day. But here's the real catch. We think we're catching only one in three people coming across illegally. Uh, Again, we don't know what we don't catch, but that's our best estimate is we're only catching one in three. So that meant any given day we're having anywhere from maybe 250 to over 600 people illegally crossing the border in my sector alone. My sector is just a fraction, maybe 8% of the border, if that much. This is fascinating. I mean, you had a one in three catch rate. You know, San Diego sector thinks that they have a nine out of 10 catch rate now because they have full fencing along their, their entire 16 mile corridor, except for oh, yeah. a part of it that that is very rugged. I mean, the terrain is is, is hellish to try oh, yeah. to get I mean, through. We, again, there are some places where a fence or physical barrier doesn't make sense because of the terrain. But where it does make sense, let's put it up. And here's the, here's the other part. If we just have a 10 percent increase in catches across the border overall over a 10 year period, that's one point two million people that will be stopped from entering. That's of a sense where it's only 10% uh, effectiveness. Can you just tell me one thing? I don't know. What is, so you were a special, a federal special prosecutor at the border. Correct. What, what, how does that work? What is that? I've never heard of that before. So, uh, well, at the border, it's just a vague description, nothing official. 
special prosecutor is well as a special assistant U.S. attorney, as opposed to just in America, uh, AUSA assistant U.S. attorney. The difference, especially special prosecutor or uh, special uh, assistant U.S. attorney, just means you're not a regular member of that office. So as your uh, listeners may recall, in April 2018, Jeff Sessions announced zero tolerance where all cases of illegal entry into America would be prosecuted. Now, that, the reason that was a big deal is because previously, although entering the U.S. illegally was a crime, it was rarely prosecuted. Instead of being handled by the Justice Department as a criminal matter, people are just deported or under catch and release to say, okay, we catch you coming over, here's your ticket to appear in immigration court, and over 90% never showed up. So they announced the law's on the books. doesn't matter if you agree or disagree with it. The law's on the books. We're going to enforce it and prosecute people. Now, that sounds great. It's good common sense. But look, it's not uh, what makes sense. It's what your logistics allow. And the Justice Department didn't have enough people to prosecute. For example, in my area, at this end, instead of 2 to 12 new cases to be prosecuted every day, it was sometimes over 100 or 200. So, Matthew, well, Matt, this yeah. is fascinating. Can we, can we hit a quick break and come back? I've got a couple more questions I really want to ask you. Can sure. you give us a few more minutes? Absolutely. All right. Uh, we're talking to Matt Pinsker about his piece up on National Review. Wall's work just asked his community college on the southern border. We're covering a, lot of, uh, covering a lot of terrain here. We'll be right back. You're probably familiar with the AARP. It's a really well-known organization, but what's not nearly as well-known is that the AARP is pretty left-wing. They fought tooth and nail for a government-run health care system, and they wanted the passage of Obamacare. So that's why I recommend AMAC, okay? Try AMAC instead of AARP. AMAC was founded by an Air Force veteran and supports conservative causes across the board. Over 1.5 million Americans have already joined AMAC. That number is growing, and they're getting all the benefits that you'd expect from an organization like this, including discounts on insurance, hotels, roadside assistance, dental plans, all kinds of good stuff, and they know AMAC is standing for freedom and the America that you want. So try the conservative alternative here. Become a member of AMAC today. The benefits are great. The cause is even greater. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. All right, so we're back with Matt Pinsker here talking about his piece in National Review. He was, just back in, in 2018, a uh, a special federal special prosecutor uh, acting as an, an AUSA, but he was down at the part of the uh, at Texas border. Um, Matt, you know, I, you, you've touched on so many things here. And I, I just was with San Diego Border Patrol last week. So this is an, an area of heightened interest for me. And obviously, it's why we got the shutdown right now. So every, everyone's curious about this stuff. I've only got a few minutes. A few things I want to ask you about, though. One is you mentioned prosecutorial resources. I asked Border Patrol this, and I think it's fascinating the answer they gave me. I said, wait a second. If you have, as they do, people in their 30s claiming to be teenagers so that they can be considered an unaccompanied minor, that's actually happened there. Isn't that or or people claiming that a kid is theirs when the kid is not actually a family member? Aren't they covered under 1001? Isn't that lying to a federal official about government business that matters or, or not? Well, I, I, I want, I'd have to double-check the code. I can't go off the top of my head on that one. But I can say is that, yes, it is a crime to lie to federal law enforcement. However, we never prosecuted anyone for that because we didn't have the resources. And, again, if people didn't enter guilty pleas, then we might have done that. But generally, everyone, you know, if cases are open and shut once they realize they're busted. And we just – let me put it this way. If everyone who we could charge with a felony was charged with a felony – the entire system would grind to a halt. We just couldn't do it. 
I mean, we, that's why the Army, I was, you know, I'm an Army judge advocate in the Army Reserves. And I was assigned to the Justice Department. That's why I have a special prosecutor, you know, someone from outside the normal office, just to help with the work overflow and the overload while they could hire some more people. But even then, the numbers are so overwhelming and so crushing that about for every case, for every case we did prosecute as a felony, there were over 100 that we just didn't. We chose not to for lack of resources. We wanted to, and the prosecutors I work with, they were outstanding, top of the line. Law enforcement were great. They were dedicated, but we we're just so overwhelmed and overworked that we just we, we actually cut deals like that, offer misdemeanors instead of felonies. Everywhere, so this, everywhere else in the country, people get felonies, but we had to do misdemeanors as a plea offer. So uh, this is fascinating. I, I want to also ask you. I, I asked, and they they this was you know off the record and, and non attribution in effect. But I did ask some border patrol guys. I said, look. You guys are telling me numbers here like uh, last year, 100,000 roughly. I think it was 96,000 is the actual number, but it's close to 100,000 family units showed up at the border. Less than 1% of them have been deported. Okay, so that means that 100,000 roughly family units, which has got to be a couple hundred thousand people, just got into the country and are going to stay, not show up for their hearings, adding to the illegal population. I asked Border Patrol, the guys who have been doing this for some of them 15 or 20 years, said, do you believe the number is still 11 million after all this time? Given what you're telling me and what's going on year in and year out, do you believe the number is 11 million? They laughed and said, absolutely not. But no one wants to hear that. What do you think? Oh, I agree 100 percent. You know, I've seen the numbers. It just doesn't make sense that it's only 11 million. I mean, we've been told it's 11 million for 20 years now. It has to be much higher than that. Yeah, I think that study. Yeah, they they said twenty to. By the way, they said twenty to thirty is what they would guess, and I said, okay, that's that sounds about right. Twenty to me sounds yeah, about right. And I think they're right as well. It's unfortunate, and people are saying this doesn't exist. This isn't a problem, but they're wrong. Yeah. I, oh my god. I'll just say, as someone who literally lived on the border, worked for border security, personally prosecuted cases, I hate hearing politicians in D.C. saying that we're making this up or we're inventing it. But the entire time I was down there. Not a single congressman sat in the courtroom where I was prosecuting over 100 cases a day. Do they not care? Do they not want to know? I mean, if a military commander, they get out there in the field, they inspect their troops, they participate in field operations, yet you have the bureaucrats and politicians in D.C., they didn't even bother to make the trip. That's what really sickens me. That's yeah, it's astonishing, man. Well, look, I, I so appreciate, Matt, getting your perspective. I didn't. I, I really liked your piece on, on what happened at Laredo Community College. Um, I didn't even realize that you had been down there this past year. And, and get, so that just, you know, the, the fresh perspective on what's going on is, is so very helpful. Um, thank you. First of all, thank you for your service. And, and thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It was really, uh, really instructive. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate the opportunity to share. Uh, so nationalreview.com folks where you want to check out his piece i mean i really enjoy talking to matt about this stuff this is just what i keep you know everyone that i talk to who knows stuff and i i spent i had a i had a pretty you know uh, really in-depth call today with more sources in immigration and customs enforcement i'm trying to get a piece out on monday uh in the hill i'm, I'm already working the research I want the facts out there. I want people to know what's really going on. Every person who knows the issue in the government, outside of government, 
They all say the same things. We are being scammed. The system is overwhelmed. The numbers are way higher than anybody realizes. We don't know how many drugs are coming in. We don't know how many legals are coming in. We know that, you know, the border resources are stretched thin right now. And yet, I you know, you turn on CNN or you turn on ABC News and they're like, you know, is the border really a crisis? Yes, you imbeciles. There's a crisis at the border. I mean, I just... I kind of get the silly sometimes I talk to people about this now. They, they really think that this is a tenable situation. We got hundreds of thousands of people at a minimum coming into the country illegally now. Hundreds of thousands last year alone. I mean, you know, what are we we're supposed to just pretend it's not happening? Yes, that's what the media wants us to do. When I see the Make America Great Again hat now, Chris, I am triggered. I'm so triggered. Andre, I think in a lot of ways, our friendship has been compromised by the fact that you continue to support this man. The one thing I will say to you to be absolutely fair is more than anybody else that I know on this network, you will regularly take Donald Trump to task. I don't agree with you on this last point, but this Make America Great Again hat is just as maddening and frustrating and triggering for me to look at as a KKK hood. Wow. That's the CNN commentator letting you know what passes for political insight and commentary over there. The formerly uh, renowned CNN, the, the network for, for, for news coverage, and they're putting people on the air who say that wearing a Make America Great Again hat is like looking at a KKK hood. I mean, this is really... Why stop there? Why not just say it's just as bad as a Nazi swastika, which is... I think a lot, a lot of liberals would say that. I don't think that they would shy away from that. But when you understand that context about our uh, national discussion right now over all these different issues, it, it really does make quite a bit of sense, doesn't it? You know, when, when you see how much they really do truly and utterly hate the opposition, they don't disagree. They don't want to win us to their side. They just actively hate Trump and all those who support him. This is why they have all the fake news. What we're going to go do a whole whole fake news rundown in the next segment. That's going to come. The the ten, uh, the top ten biggest fake news stories are going to be coming your way. It's a great great time. We're going to have some fun with that one. But to say that the uh, that a MAGA hat is like a KKK hood, it's it's a dumb and nasty thing to say. Um, but I think it's important that we hear it because people do believe this. You also had. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who had this to say about the president of the United States. Play 13. We have a hater in the White House, a birther in chief, uh, the grand wizard of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, one of the things that we've learned is that while Jim Crow may be dead, he's still got some nieces and nephews that are alive and well. Grand wizard. That's a sitting member of Congress who's saying that. You have a, a sitting member of Congress who is referring to the, the president of the United States as the grand wizard, the KKK leader of the White House, and saying that while Jim Crow is dead, he has essentially, uh, or while Jim Crow is gone, you know, there, there are relatives of Jim Crow who are still in place. And uh, it's, it's such a horrible thing to say. And you and I might obviously want to just push that aside and ignore it and say, oh, you know, there are idiots who say dumb things all the time. And, you know, we can't we can't get too deep into all the stupid things. If, if, if we if we took it upon ourselves 
to repudiate the dumb things that are said on CNN on a regular basis. That's all we would do. We just spend all day being like, no, no, wrong, false, stupid, untrue. Um, but I do think it's something we have to take note of, that there are going to be people, lots of them, who hear a congressman saying that Trump is the grand wizard of the KKK, to hear a CNN contributor say, or CNN, whatever, panelist, pundit, that MAGA hats are like KKK hoods. This is really destructive. It's wildly inappropriate. It's uh, deeply disingenuous. And yet this is this is what they will do. But then I have to note that there are just there there are some times when I look and I see what's happening with the Catholic Church uh, on a lot of issues recently, but on this one in particular of the of the Covington Catholic schoolboys. And you know, there's this guy who goes on CNN, Father Edward Beck, and I've never heard of this guy before. But he, apparently, he's a Catholic priest. And he said the following on CNN, play clip seven. The students acted inappropriately. I was raised at a time when we were taught respect your elders. With regard to the hats, the hats that they were wearing, the so-called MAGA hats or Make American Great hats, come with a certain political agenda that in my opinion can be seen as anti-Catholic, anti-Christian. Because abortion is not the only pro-life issue. What about immigration and the migrants? What about capital punishment? What about the environment and climate change? And so by wearing that hat, it's saying that you're aligning yourself with a political agenda. The students had no right to be wearing that hat. Wear a school hat. Uh, Man. Look, I know there are some... There's some great, there are obviously lots of great priests out there too in the Catholic Church and, and lots of different uh, Christian denominations. But I, I, I don't understand how you can have these Catholic priests. And you notice that they like to do this, they like to skip over. Well, I mean, being pro-life is not. No, actually, if you're a Catholic priest, you don't get to skip over that one. You don't get to say, you know what, let's ignore, let's ignore the fact that New York State, to uproarious applause, just made it entirely legal to abort a baby at six months, which is well past the viability phase, uh, or at nine months if a medical professional deems it to be in the interest of the mother. New York State just passed a statute saying that abortion all nine months of a pregnancy, which is which is just utterly barbaric and it's murder and, and this is insane. Uh, and when they passed this one, I would note in the, in the New York State Assembly, there were che- there was cheering and clapping because, you know, this is such a huge breakthrough for women's rights. This is one of these issues where also even if even if I'm not able to help sway, although I do think we have a, a, a duty and an obligation to sway as many people as we can on this. But even if we don't win in the sense that the Supreme Court doesn't come our way on this anytime sooner, uh, we're right. And that is what matters. And the people who are on the wrong side of this one are going to have to uh, always live with the consequences of that. Um, And I actually feel sorry for them. But for a Catholic priest to come out and be like, yeah, let's skip over. Let's skip over the the life issue and let's worry about climate change. Just goes to show you, I mean, these guys are now these guys are activists in a Roman collar. They are progressive left wing activists for anyone to be in the Catholic Church and and see these videos and see what happened with these kids 
and have a problem with the kids. Never mind to say that a, a MAGA hat is anti-Catholic. Uh, you know, what the heck is wrong with some of these priests? It really, it obviously really annoys me. Although I will say that this guy known as the Bishop of the Internet, Bishop Robert Barron, who has 1.5 million likes on, on Facebook, uh, said that the criticism of the, of the Kentucky uh, Covington Catholic High School was, quote, satanic. So at least Bishop Robert Barron was making some sense on this one. But I just see this this uh, reaction, and I, I hate this, when the forces of anti-religious bigotry, when the forces of pro-abortion extremism uh, just bring these priests on TV to use them as a kind of Trojan horse against their own side and to say, oh, well, you know, the right and Republicans, you know, what about migrants? And what about the... Uh, migrants are breaking the law and they're effectively, if they're in the country illegally, stealing property from people. Stealing is not not biblical, not okay. They are stealing. They are accessing benefits that they do not have the right to. Oh, it's a Catholic. Ah, I really, I don't know. And don't even get me started on some of these Jesuits. Some of them are great, but some of them are just, and I know Jesuits, some of them are just awful. Awful on the politics. I don't know what their problem is. All right, we'll be right back. People admitted they made snap judgments before these other facts came in. But is it that we just instantly say that's what it is based on what we see in that moment and then have to walk stuff back when it turns out we're wrong? Why is that? Why is do we keep making the same mistake? Because we, we're desperate to get Trump out of office. That's why. You know, sometimes Joy Behar because we're desperate to get Trump out of office. You know, sometimes she really she really does speak the truth. I don't think she means to, but it kind of comes out of her mouth anyway. Because we're desperate to get Trump out. Uh, that is true. That is why you have had the, not just the Covington debacle. I mean, this really brings it all together. The, the Covington media coverage debacle, the BuzzFeed debacle. And in fact, there's a, a very good piece. Um, and, you know, look, Glenn Greenwald buyer beware i mean glenn greenwald is somebody who some of his stuff you go wow that's he's taking a stance that's going to be really unpopular with the left and and he's going to take a lot of a lot of heat from it but he's right and other stuff you're like oh my gosh he's just he's just completely excusing you know he he's making excuses for terrorists i mean he he's you know you don't always know what you're going to get with him you know you don't always know what the uh, you know what the circumstances are of what you're going to get from Glenn Greenwell. That's for sure. On some things he's terrible, and some things he's actually really good. I don't know what else to say. But he has a piece on the on the Intercept, which is a very left wing site. That again, I'm telling you, you can't trust some of the stuff that's up there. It's very agenda driven. But it's the ten, and I should dig into this for you a little bit tomorrow. It's the ten biggest media disasters in terms of Russia collusion reporting. And it's a really solid read because he, he lays them out. I know some others have done this, too, but he lays them out and you see that there's just no way to explain the giant egg on face disasters um, that have happened from these major media outlets uh, that here the, the piece here. I just want to pull it up for the 10 most embarrassing Worst U.S. media failures on the Trump-Russia story. Uh, 
Number 10, that RT hacked into and took over C-SPAN. Okay, so you had Fortune claimed that Russia Today hacked into and took over C-SPAN, which is pretty, pretty astonishing. And it turns out C-SPAN was not hacked. Number nine, Russian hackers invaded the U.S. I remember the story. U.S. electricity grid to deny Vermonters heat during the winter. The Washington Post ran with that. It turned out that there was just some malware that was at a facility in a Vermont power plant had nothing to do with Russia or the electric grid. I mean, this is like, it was, it was just a total, and the Washington Post ran with that completely, utterly nonsensical story. Um, but they, they went with it. Number eight, a new deranged anonymous group declares mainstream political sites on the left and right to be Russian propaganda outlets and Washington Post touts its report to claim massive Kremlin infiltration of the Internet. Um, this story I remember very well. It was about the more than 200 websites um, peddling Russian propaganda with a, quote, combined audience of at least 15 million. And they were viewed 213 million times, they say. Unfortunately, this is from the Intercept piece. Those statistics were provided by a new anonymous group that reached those conclusions by classifying long uh, long time well-known sites from the drudge report to truth out and naked capitalism as well as libertarian venues such as antiwar.com and the ron ron paul institute as russian propaganda outlets they they just basically saw somebody online posted a story the and this was the washington post published it saying that 213 million uh, million views of Russian propaganda during the election based on, uh, yeah, prop or nots monitoring report, which was provided to the Washington Post. They, they, they didn't know what, who prop or not was. They had no idea these people were. It's just, it's just not, it, it was just a complete, it was fake news. This is fake news. We might as well call it what it is. Number seven, I mean, this is delicious, isn't it? It's amazing when you get down to it. Trump aide Anthony Scaramucci is involved. Aid Amooch is involved in a Russian hedge fund under Senate investigation. Um, that was a lie. <laughs> the whole thing was a lie. CNN retracted the story and forced three reporters who published it to resign. Effectively fired three of their reporters because it was such a, a grotesque editorial debacle. Number six. Russia attacked U.S. diplomats at the Cuban embassy using a super sophisticated sonic microwave. NBC News, MSNBC, all of them were were publishing on the neurological. I remember people asking me about this. What do you think of the neurological brain injury thing? And I was like, I I don't know. I mean, it sounds bad, but I, I, you know, I'm not aware of any special brain injury wave weapon that anybody was, you know, working on when I was in government. Turns out that uh, that story, they believe now, was... um, Crickets, a very loud cricket. The Indies short-tailed cricket was making so much noise that it hurt some people's hearing and gave them headaches. Um, that, that was reported recently in the New York Times. The sounds that haunted U.S. diplomats in Cuba? Crickets, according to scientists. Okay, but it was a Russian plot. Number five, Trump created a secret Internet server to covertly communicate with a Russian bank. Slate published that. False. Totally false. Hillary Clinton, by the way, from her official account, shared that piece. Do you want me to keep going? Aren't these amazing? Number four, Paul Manafort, 
visited Julian Assange three times in the Ecuadorian embassy. The Guardian reported on that. That's just laughable. Laughable. There's no way that anybody would be able to go visit Julian Assange without security services knowing about it, without uh, MI5 knowing about it, without London or, or, uh, you know, whatever metropolitan police, as well as journalists. But that was a bombshell. That was just published in November. This is amazing, isn't it? I've got, got a couple more here. Number three, CNN explicitly lied about Lanny Davis being its source for a story whose substance was also false, that Cohen would testify that Trump knew in advance about the Trump Tower meeting. All a lie. And they lied about who the source was to protect him, and, and he had lied. Uh, let's see what else. Number two, Robert Mueller possesses internal emails and witness interviews proving Trump directed Cohen to lie to Congress. That was the BuzzFeed story. Well, I thought that would be number one. What do we have for number one now? I'm really curious. What's going to be da, 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 drum roll? Number one. Here it comes. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. was offered. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Offered advanced access to the WikiLeaks email archive. CNN and MSNBC reported on that. I mean, I'm sorry. I know I went through that whole list, folks, but that's an amazing list of those are all fake news stories from the biggest news outlets in the country. CNN, NBC, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post. Fake news like crazy. And you know why they did it? You know why it's happening? Joy Behar told us all. Because we hate Trump so much, we have to get rid of him. We have to find a way to get this president out. If that means lying to people, we'll do it. So there you have it. Fake news extravaganza. And at least Joy Behar will tell us why there is, in fact, a Fake news extravaganza. I think it's rather important that we get these details. Uh, we've got more coming up, team. Stay with me. The Supreme Court is going to review uh, a very, very important case uh, when it comes to the Second Amendment. This is the first real Second Amendment case that will have been heard in 10 years by SCOTUS, as the cool kids call it. But they just agreed on Tuesday to hear this. And it's something that is near and dear to my heart which is the gun law in New York City. I mean, some of the laws regarding guns in New York City, specifically uh, whether you can take a handgun. I mean, this is crazy. For those of you who live in states that actually believe in the Second Amendment, you're going to say, or maybe you'll say, Buck, come on, you're, you must have this one wrong. No, no. It turns out that, that this is the case. You can have what's called a premise permit in New York City for a handgun. Now, and I know people who have gone through this process. I refuse to go through it because it is, or I don't live there anymore, but also it is so onerous, expensive, annoying, and there are crazy restrictions on it. Like, for example, the NYPD has the right. Now, they don't do this all the time, and that's what they always say. Well, we won't do that to you unless we have a reason. And they say it's so we can stop people if there's a if there's a domestic violence complaint or if we have some issue and you know we have a little more leverage, we can go and do a a well visit based on your ownership of a registered and legal ownership of a firearm. They can come to your premise for an inspection of how you maintain that firearm. Now, you may be saying, Buck, what does that mean? Well, in New York City, if you have what's called a premise permit, which is a permit just to have the handgun in your home, it, it is certainly not a conceal or open carry, and there are extreme limitations on where you can even take it in the city. Um, but 
in New York, if you are on the list of people that owns a gun, they can come and want to see your storage of that gun. The police can without a warrant. And the storage of a handgun has to be get ready for this gun with a trigger lock on it in a locked box with ammunition stored separately also in a locked box. So I am not exaggerating when I tell you that Second Amendment rights in New York City mean that if you hear a bump in the night or a, your your window panes get crashed by a, a prowler or whatever, prowler, oh, a prowler, uh, but if, if that were to happen, you would have three locks to go through and I, be, I think they have to be combination locks and not key locks, but I'm not sure if that stipulation. I think, though, it has to be combination locks. You have three locks to go through before you could have a chambered round in your legally owned firearm. Think about that one for a moment, okay? You're like, hold on a second, burglar. What are you, you're going to throw your lockbox at him? Wait, I'm not ready yet. Hold on. So the part of this law, though, that's being challenged is that in New York City, once you have gotten your premise, and by the way, for those of you who are like, Buck, we don't care about New York, this, this the national implications are going to come from this, okay? So wherever you live, I think, reading into this, your Second Amendment rights could be, uh, I'm hoping, very positively affected by this one, or at least those of you who live in gun-restrictive states uh, will be positively affected by this. In New York City, the NYPD does not allow you it is illegal to take your legally owned handgun outside of the city, of city limits. It's effectively a premise permit only for your premise that is registered with the police department in New York. So let's say you have, you know, a second home or, you know, let's say you want to go visit grandpa and you want to take your gun to the range. Of, you know, my grandparents had a, had a home in Hudson Valley for many, many years, right, which is about two hours, well, they were about two hours north of New York. You know, if you want to go up and visit family and bring your legal firearm, you're in the same state, but you are not allowed to take your legally owned firearm or handgun. It's different for handguns and and, uh, and shotguns, but you're, you cannot take your handgun outside of, uh, of the city. Um, you are not allowed to take it outside of the city. I think this, this makes a stipulation between handguns and shotguns. Again, the laws are so complicated about the Second Amendment or the destruction of it in New York City that I have spoken to police officers and even they get confused about. It. I've spoken to detectives with many, many years in the job. They're like, yeah, I think you might be able to get a, a hunting exception to the premise permit. You know, there's all this other stuff. Like, what am I going to go? You know, it, you're going to go take a nine millimeter and go squirrel hunting. I mean, I, I know you, some of you are like, yeah, Buck, that's great. You know, I, I think that that's generally not what people are, are hunting with. Um, but here's why the Supreme Court's taking this up. And it's a good thing that they are. Because in D.C. v. Heller, it was established that the right to bear arms includes the right to bear arms in the home. And what that meant was that at the time, or what, what brought this up, there was a guy who was licensed to carry a firearm as a security guard, and he couldn't bring his gun home with him, even though he was licensed to own and operate that weapon. But only at work. Had to leave it in like a locked box and locked locker couldn't bring it home with him, and he wanted to bring it home. You know, why, why, is he, why is this guy banned from having a gun at his home when he's allowed to carry a gun for his job? And the Supreme Court said, sorry, the right to bear arms includes the right to bear arms in common usage in your home. 
The part of this that has not been dealt with yet, as many of you I'm sure already know, is what about all these prohibitions on the transporting of a firearm or all these prohibitions on the carrying of a firearm? You know, in New York, the way they have it set up, you can only transport in a lockbox your uh, your legally owned firearm to one of, I think, seven different ranges in the New York City area. Yeah, it's only handguns, by the way. I was right about that. It's only handguns that are unloaded and locked. And this this is just this is just anti-gun animus. It makes no sense. How is it a safety issue for you if you are allowed to have the gun in New York City and it and it's in a lockbox and it's in the because that's the way it's supposed to be transported? How is it a safety issue for you to take that gun with you to, you know, Westchester or upstate New York? You know, go visit a friend in Syracuse. The state government has no problem with it. So why should the city government have a problem with it? Isn't this an undue restriction? Um, it also means, by the way, that if somebody breaks into your home, and this is brought up, I believe, in the in the uh, the initial brief, that, uh, you know, there's the possibility of the firearm being stolen. So it's, it's safer probably to have it with you in the lockbox than it is just to leave it in your home, although you know, we could argue about that. But the, the, the Supreme Court's going to hear this case next term. I think you could get a pretty sweeping, um, a pretty sweeping decision that, you know, if, if, he, if you legally own a firearm, that means the right to legally transport the firearm to any place you are entitled to have it within the state where you are. This also then raises, and I don't know how this will fact. So they're going to strike down. This New York prohibition is idiocy. It is idiocy. Okay, it's been, and you know, unfortunately, the you know, in the Bloomberg era in particular, the anti-gun animus and the anti-gun zealots were just running amok. But this could mean that for the first time in a decade, the Supreme Court is going to rule in a way that affects gun rights more broadly, and it could get into uh, state reciprocity, perhaps. I mean, I don't think that'll come up in this case, but that's what's on the horizon. Why? Why should a state? I mean, this is a constitutionally protected right. If you're illegal to have a gun in Florida, how is it okay for you not to be legal to have a gun in Georgia? This is a federal constitutional right, right? Just like voting, you know, you, you, you know, they like to play this game, but they act like it's not in the Constitution. This actually is, unlike a lot of things liberals talk about in the Constitution. And the other part of this is also maybe it clears the way for some clarity on open and or concealed carry and what that will mean. But being able to transport your firearm within the state where you legally own it without possibly running foul of the cops— Supreme Court's taking this one on, and it's going to be a big Second Amendment case for the next term. So keep an eye out for that one. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. I trust these guys. And if you're hiring or if you own a property and you need to do that background check on a person before you lease it out to them, really important you do. You want to know who you're getting into business with. Uh, you need Global Verification Network. You could be a huge company if you work in the HR department and you're looking for somebody to do this work that you need done on new hires, or you could be a startup and you just want to make sure you've got someone who can. Work with a program tailored to your needs. Go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. If you have any need for background investigations or vetting, you should call Global Verification Network. That's who I would call. 877-695-1179. And Team Buck, make sure you let them know that you heard about Global Verification Network on The Buck Sexton Show. 
we're making progress in negotiating on the grandest scale between the two countries ever. Okay? We're covering everything. Technology, theft, IP, forced transfers, family jewels, cyber intervention, commodities, industrial supplies, financial services, ownership. Nothing like this has ever been undertaken. This is good. Negotiations are good. That was Larry Kudlow, senior economic advisor to the uh, the president, uh, talking about what's going on with China. I, I got into this a little bit yesterday, but I wanted to add some detail and, and bring in somebody with, with particular expertise on this subject. So we got our friend Derek Scissors back in action. He's a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, where he focuses on the Chinese and Indian economies and on U.S. economic relations with Asia. He's also concur- uh, the chief economist of the China Beige Book. Derek, good to have you back. Glad to be back. All right. So how are we doing? Right. Yesterday, I just got into a little bit of how Chinese economy is actually in quite a slowdown right now. There's been some talk of maybe relieving some of the tariffs from the U.S. side of the U.S. side of things. There's some indications, at least in the White House, there's progress. But I want you to just just give it to us straight, Derek. How are we doing in our trade war with China? Uh, well, let's start with the negotiations. Uh, the negotiations are purely political. And what I mean by that is we're not going to get anything of any value from the Chinese before March 1st. It's impossible, right? It's almost the end of January. We're talking about huge purchases if they do that and huge changes in the way they do business if they do that. So what we're going to get from the Chinese is a bunch of IOUs. Um, their track record on these is poor, in my opinion. And the president's going to have to make a political decision. Do I think they're going to keep most of their promises? They're not going to keep all of them, not on the table. Do I think they're going to keep most of them? And it's, it's completely going to be on the basis of what he thinks their credibility is. That's why I say it's a political decision, because nothing will happen economically between now and then. Now, so, you know, in terms of the economies, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, in terms of the economies, I don't think the trade war means that much to either economy. Uh, we've got a shutdown going on in the U.S. We've got a very strong American labor market, according to the last labor report. Those are the kinds of things that matter in the United States and in China. They've mishandled their banking system, and that's what's hurting their growth. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Well, why is China? They're in the biggest slowdown since the '90s, right? So people look at that saying, "Whoa, that's that's significant for them." Yeah, I mean, that was coming anyway. Uh, basically, you know, people get impatient with economics, but, but big economies like ours and like the Chinese move slowly. The Chinese borrowed a ton of money to get past the global financial crisis. Uh, they didn't get anything useful out of that money. And so when you run up a lot of debt, which unfortunately we're also doing here, your economy tends to slow down because you're not, you've, you've wasted money. You're not getting any productive use out of that money. They also changed their lending policies to focus more on state banks lending um, because it's safer. It is safer, but state banks don't know how to lend to high-risk, high-reward customers because they've never had to do that because they're state-owned, and that means China is getting less growth out of it. So it's a it's a long-term credit problem and a short-term credit problem. That's where the, why their economy is slowing down. What are the chances in your mind that that there is some kind of a breakthrough here? Though I mean, little Larry Kudlow, right before we brought you on, we played we played his soundbite where he's saying, "Look, you know, we're covering all these different things: intellectual property theft, and you know, uh, what what do you what do you think? I mean, is is there any re- is there any reason for optimism that there'll be real progress on this stuff, or is it just going to kind of continue in this? It feels kind of like a stalemate. Yeah, I think the stalemate is much more likely. Um, 
again, the president's going to have to decide if he wants to say, I'm trying this deal, and then I would like him to be very cautious about it. That's not really his style. I'd like him to be very cautious about it because I've seen other people hype deals with the Chinese and it hasn't worked out that well. Uh, if you're a farmer, if you're selling energy um, to China, if you're Boeing, I think you got a good chance of, of having a good year in 2019 or, or into 2020 even, uh, because I think we are going to sell more to China if we make a deal. If you're hoping that China doesn't steal your trade secrets, and that's not just advanced technology, that's just what your company does, and, or if you're a worker in a company that has trade secrets that are at risk from the Chinese that would hurt the company's competitiveness and hurt your salary and your job, I don't think you're going to get anything out of this. It's part of China's economic model to take things from other people. That's been true for a while. So if, if, if you're selling to China, great. If you're trying to compete with China, I'm afraid status quo uh, is, is the most likely outcome. Now, also, just from a more general perspective, there's been this consensus that Trump is starting this. And I say consensus, you know, this is just what's, what's magnified in the media. But they always say, oh, all the experts agree that Trump's trade war is is uh, kind of a, not just fruitless, but crazy. It sounds like from what you're telling me that, well, even if it's not a good idea, it's not nearly people say trade war. And I think that the implication is often, well, trade wars lead to real wars. And, you know, there, there's this this fear of of what Trump is trying to do vis-a-vis China. But even if it doesn't work, am, am I right in, in hearing from you that this is not the looming catastrophe that people people have been told it is? Or, or is that a misread? No, I think I think they're. Three things, three ways to talk about the trade dispute with China. One of them is negative, and two of them are positive. Let's start with the first one. We should be having a trade dispute with China. The president was right as a candidate, and he's right as president that we have serious problems with China. You hear lots of people saying that, but they never did anything about it. So, you know, when I hear one of my you know colleagues here or a politician say, "Well, you know, I obviously China is not a great trade partner, but I don't like the president the way the president's doing things," I'm like, "Okay, that's fair. What would you do?" A lot of them don't have anything. They say nothing. We got real problems with China, but they don't want to do anything about it. So president gets credit on that score. Uh, the second point is the point that you brought up. Um, if you talk about how the trade uh, tensions are impacting the United States, it's just not very big. Um, you get business you know, groups who are anti-trade war. They'll say, oh, you know, we lost $20 billion last year to the trade conflict. All right, that's not nothing. Don't get me wrong. U.S. GDP last year was $20 trillion. So that's a thousand times more. Um, we're not, you know, we're losing one tenth of one percent of annual economic activity. Engaging in a conflict we should have engaged in ten years ago. So those are the two things where you know the president's been right and and the media has been wrong. And exact, you know, the president's been right that we need to confront the Chinese. The media has been wrong in in uh, in saying this is a disaster for the United States because it's not true. And then was there, a, there was also, I think, a negative that you were going to throw in there, though, from yeah, what he's I doing. I don't like tariffs, and I, I get nasty emails about this whenever I say it. But look, what I want to do is I want to target the Chinese companies who get the most subsidies, because the subsidies block American competition with those companies. It makes for a, the famous unlevel playing field, unfair trade. That's, that's Chinese subsidies. I want to target those Chinese companies that have received stolen intellectual property. In other words, I want to target the ones who are doing illegal and harmful things. But tariffs target everybody. When we put a tariff, we put a tariff on everybody who makes this product coming into the U.S., including a foreign company based in China, including American consumers who buy the product. So, you know, that's where I think the president made made a mistake. I understand why I did it politically, but I think we're punishing everyone in China trade. There are a lot of Chinese companies that should be punished, but we're we're going beyond that. And I think that's where the downside is. This this might be a bit of an elementary question, but I, I don't know and I want to know. 
are, are we able to discern who is receiving state subsidies in China? Is that something that we have visibility into? Yes. Now, are we able to do a perfect job of it or know exactly who's received stolen trade secrets? No. But we do have, hey, these are the most heavily subsidized companies. We know that. Hey, these are examples uh, of companies that receive trade secrets. You know, if you're asking me for a perfect list, we cannot put together a perfect list. If you're asking me if we can target major, important, large Chinese companies uh, and say, you guys are guilty either of receiving subsidies, which make it un- uh, impossible to compete, or of outright theft, which is worse, yeah, we can do that. And that's where I would have started. And what you, you, know, what you get there is, of course, the Chinese will try to play a shell game and, and change the companies around who are getting the subsidies or who are receiving the stolen IP. But at least you're scaring them off the thing that they shouldn't be doing. If you put tariffs on anyone, if I'm a Chinese company that never stole IP, and I get a tariff anyway, I'm like, well, I might as well steal, right? I mean, I'm getting punished for all the people who did it. Why don't I start doing it? I'm already getting hurt by the tariffs. So I think the tariffs send the wrong incentives, and our, and our partial list of who's guilty in China would create the right incentives. Derek Scissors, everybody, and, and I mean this in the best way, Derek, you actually managed to make trade really interesting. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> thank I appreciate that. Derek Scissors of, of AEI, everybody. Check out his stuff at AEI.org. Derek, really appreciate it, man. Glad to be on. Team will be uh, right back. Now, it is very rare for me to watch the same topic uh, for a documentary twice. But I have to tell you, <laughs> I liked the Fire Festival documentary on Netflix so much that I went ahead and watched the Fire Festival documentary on Hulu. And I find out as I'm sitting here talking to you folks that my main man, Brandon, DJ Brandon, has also at least gone about, what, Brandon, halfway through? Yeah, the documentary. after talking about it yesterday, I'm like, what you said, why do I want to watch the same documentary twice? But because you said it was better, it was different, I gave it a chance, then I fell asleep. But I'll finish it tonight, probably. But what do you think? It is a little different, right? It gives you a little more of the backstory. More of the backstory, of course, they talk to the main guy, Billy, who does get paid, which I think is kind of weird. Yeah, but they, get, they, they got him to do an interview, and you just see what a what a shady, compulsive liar this guy is in real time in the interview. It's pretty amazing. It is. It's all, he is kind of broken <laughs> a little bit, so that but he deserves it for what he did. But they give uh, more of a background into the whole millennial thing and how uh, influential uh, some people could be for uh, Instagram and things like that. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I like the, some, some of the analysis. And this is what for the folks listening who are like, Buck, stop talking about Fire Festival. Um, although I'm telling you, if you watch the documentary on Netflix or Hulu, you're going to be it's going to suck you in. Um, the, the R. Kelly documentary, A Lifetime, was also really good. I know I mentioned that. But that's really pretty depressing and pretty soul crushing that there's somebody who could be so evil and get away with it for so long in this country. It's pretty remarkable, but it is worth watching. This one, though, you come away from you just you think to yourself, you know, we're the first Brandon. I mean, you're you're young. You're quite a bit younger than I am. Uh, but we're the first generation, roughly speaking, that has had this notion of the the social media life or, or the Instagrammable life out there. And I really do think that it affects people's perceptions of of themselves and what they want and what they should have. You know, now it's like everyone and, and they talk about this in the documentary. Everybody's seeing people who are in their 20s looking amazing and, you know, all all anyone puts on Instagram is what, Brandon? People on the beach, right? They're just everyone's on the beach drinking rosé. Beautiful just people. A people listening to this are like, Buck, I'm actually out buck hunting and like <laughs> I'm not at the beach. But, you know, what I mean, you're at the beach, too, sometimes. Let's be honest, everybody. You know, the point is people Instagram the best moments of their life and and create the perception 
that that is their life when that is not their life, right? I mean, the people I know who are in the selfie game and I, look, I've done, you know, I've taken with other people usually. I mean, I try not to just do like random. I know media people though, men and women, who will just be like, hey, I'm on set. Let me take a photo of myself and post it. They do it all the time and people like it. I, I don't know. Yeah, It's I've one thing that. if you got other people in the selfie. I think a, is that still a selfie, by the way? Isn't it like a... I remember somebody once said a photo of somebody else is called a Yui. Um, but a, a what is if, if a selfie has more than one person, shouldn't it be like a, a Delphi or something? You know what a, I mean? A Tui? Yeah, a Tui. Yeah. It's just a picture a little... at a certain point. I can't keep yeah. up with the kids. Yeah, I can't keep up. How old are you? Uh, I'm 35. I Oh, you're like my age. I thought I thought yeah, you were 30. I was I thought kind you of insulted a, a little younger. bit, but that's yeah. okay. You, you have the bearing of a younger man. Thank you. By the way. Oh, you haven't seen it because we don't, you know, you're, you're not, you're not in studio with me right now. Um, I need to see, cause you're a man with a, with a legit beard. I need you to tell me if you think I'm, if my beard is going in the right direction, you know, did you Instagram it? Cause I'm looking at it right now. You have, uh, you have I don't fuzz. think it's, I don't think it's up on Instagram or see, we're talking about the Instagram life and I'm like, did you go on my Instagram? I just did. Yeah. And you um, have, it's from five days ago. Your most recent one. No, that's not, it's, it's gotten a bit, a bit. Because I just want to know if I look like a tool when I go on TV. You know, that's really because, you know, you usually I have a three in one rule. If three people like something for every one person who doesn't, you're usually in pretty good shape. But when it's 50 50, you know, when people like, oh, look, your haircut and it's like 50 50, that's probably a bad. It's probably a bad move. And this is a perfect example of the Instagram generation. Here we are, two of us, two gray beard millennials. I'm actually I actually do have some gray in my so beard. Do I, I so do I. I saw that. Is that is that normal that that my beard is gray before other things are gray? Yeah, I get them in weird places like my uh, my sideburns. I, I don't know why. So yeah, the gray is it's there. It's just not coming in uh, like a silver fox yet. So it just looks awkward. Um, so yeah, I've got my first gray hair on my beard. So now I really am a gray beard millennial. But here we are talking about Instagram and beards and photos. When, you know, there are clearly there are, there are other important things in life to be focused on. But the Fire Festival documentary does raise some very interesting questions about what social media is doing to all of us and what people value. And I will tell you that, you know, it, it, it's a tool like so many other things. And it can be great and it can be a real um really almost confined. You can almost become a slave to social media because in my business now. And Brandon, you have a podcast. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you may not want to post something 10 times a day, but the people that are competing with you for for eyeballs, for ears, they're posting 100 times a day. I know exactly what you're talking and about. And there are some people in my business who I'm like, they're just shameless and they post every three seconds. And unless like I post a little bit, I, I'm just not going to, you know, you, you don't, you, you lose out. I mean, you lose out on opportunities, you lose out on audience. So that's a long way of saying, uh, you know, Check out this. Check out both Fire Festival de- documentaries. Uh, all right, roll calls coming up. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Oh yes, it is the roll call party that we have all been waiting for. Are you ready to rumble? Oh, by the way, my mom, I should, I'm going to steal this. I'm going to post this on the Buck Sexton Facebook. My mom has a photo here of Tallulah, the family Frenchie. I just took a little screenshot of it in pink polar fleece walking the streets of NYC. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to share this one. 
I think you guys will realize that uh, we have a very fashionable little Frenchie in the Sexton family. And it also reminds me that I got to get a dog. But I always feel like my family dog is my dog. She's a, she's a little a little love bunny. Okay, enough of that. I, I just saw that as I was looking for um, the Facebook page for the show, which I have now turned to. And with that, we shall get into all things roll call for your listening enjoyment. Look how I stretch these things out so I can actually load them up. Adam writes, Black Panther was vibranium. You made my inner nerd cry. Shields high. That's right. Vibranium. Unobtainium is the very uh, uncreative thing that they come up with for Avatar. That's the special substance that the greedy capitalists want in Avatar. Avatar is either Fern Gully or Dances with Wolves or both. A ripoff of, of either or both of those, depending on who you ask. It's definitely a ripoff of Dances with Wolves. I mean, there, it's it's just so much of it is borrowed from Dances with Wolves. But Adam, you didn't tell me if you agree that I'm taking a bold stance in favor of all that is good in the arts by pointing out that Black Panther is just not a good movie. I would, even, I would offer to you it's not in the top five superhero movies of all time and if we are talking about a movie with an african a movie that is a superhero movie with an african-american lead i would tell you that i and i really mean this i think blade with wesley snipes is a better overall movie than black panther blade is a really entertaining and well done film i, I thought it was great i actually owned it on dvd when i was in college so i think blade is better than black panther i know that that's that may be sacrilege to some people, but that's just where I come down on it. Timothy writes, Buck Shields High. This Covington fiasco is a prima facie case. Prima facie. How do we prima facie? You know, there's so many words that I learned from reading and that I, I haven't heard said necessarily. And then I realize, well, I know them from reading them, but I don't really know them from hearing them. It's a prima facie case of why dueling needs to be brought back. Whoa, Timothy. That's uh it's pretty intense. Bobo writes, hey, Buck, I love the show. Haven't missed one in over two months. Well, until less yesterday, I'm listening on podcasts with CastBox. I thought it was fine, but all my other shows downloaded fine. Yours did not. Please hurry and fix it. I hope the Russians had nothing to do with it. I have to write a retraction. Uh, never mind. We're good now. <laughs> okay, Bubba. Well, I'm, I'm, glad that, I'm glad that it wasn't on our end. It makes me very sad when people can't listen to the show who want to listen to the show. So um, on podcast, always let me know if there's if there's a problem. And thanks for keeping an eye on it and not missing a show in two months. You, sir, get a high five. Richard writes, Buck, happy Hoosiers uh, from a Yankee man in Southernland. Speaking of your dogs in Mexico tale, one of the reasons I love John Wick is he didn't care if he took his car. He didn't care if you robbed him, but they killed his dog. When they killed his dog, as Bugs Bunny would say, this means war. We meet on the battlefield, except the guard outside the strip club was uh, outside the club. Rather, sorry, not strip club, strip club. Get your mind out of the gutter, Sexton. That was a nice touch. Shield time, my friend. Scott gets in on this party with the following. Dear Buck, regarding your Facebook post about Bill O'Reilly giving you a hat tip on your column. Take a second and look back, brother. You have been behind the golden microphone impress Glenn Beck enough to have a seat at the blaze 
have a show on the Hill and actually had the fortitude to say goodbye and put CNN in your rear view. Tucker is having you on his program frequently. And now Bill O'Reilly gives you props. You know, Scott, I really appreciate that, man. Thank you. It's it's important for those of us who are in this uh, this crazy conservative media business to be appreciative of, of the blessings and of the breakthroughs. And, and, and I really mean this. And those of you who have been with me for a long time know this. It's because of all of you who listen to this show. Uh, there were no guarantees that anybody would listen to me when I started doing radio. We could measure it digitally when I started the Saturday three-hour show. And we could see that the first time I did it, we had people in the teens, meaning I had a few dozen. That's right, a few dozen listeners for my first couple of shows uh, but thank uh, thanks to the internet and the word of mouth from those initial fans uh, now now we measure this show in the hundreds of thousands I, I generally don't get too much into how many people listen but we measure the show in the hundreds of thousands uh, in terms of listeners and I am hoping within the next two to three years to be measuring the show in the low millions. That's my plan. But we are already in the hundreds of thousands of people who are listening to the show uh, and, and getting getting up near that seven figure mark very close. So uh, it, it, it's very meaningful. And, and it is really just a function of the fact that the people that listen to the show appreciate what it is that I try to do and what I put into the show every day. And they know that a radio show is a special kind of media medium a radio show is a special kind of platform it really is a movement it really is uh, a community of like-minded individuals who come together but thank you very much scott for your kind words and it's been quite a ride and you know i have some people in my life family and and a couple of close friends but mostly family who have uh pushed me on through some really difficult stuff along the way. And I've got to say, I, I am very blessed. And it has been an incredible eight years so far. Alicia writes, I know you are friends with S.E. Cup. Have you addressed the fact that she was one of the first conservatives to jump on bashing the Covington High School kids and helping spread the false narrative? Um, I can tell you, uh, Alicia, that uh, yeah, th that is true. I, I am uh, still to this day good friends with Essie Cup, uh, and I think she is uh, a great lady, a great um, mom and friend, and she is just like the rest of us, not perfect, and she got this one wrong. As she has very publicly stated now, she has done a big mea culpa. She shouldn't have gone just based off of the video. And I think she got caught up in a little bit of the negativity she feels towards Trump and with those MAGA hats. But I, I think you should also know that when it comes to uh, gun rights, when it comes to being pro-life, when it comes to limited government and low taxation, a lot of the issues that matters to you, Essie uh, is a fierce defender of those things. And she has to walk a very fine line over at CNN by being a conservative in the mix over there. All right, next up in the queue here, we have Jeff who writes, Buck, do you have any recommendations for reading up on the attacks by Islamist forces that lead up to and prompted the start of the First Crusade? Jeff, original Saturday squad. You know, Jeff, the answer to that is to become familiar with Byzantine history or the history of the Eastern Roman Empire, because that is what we now think of as the, uh, the, the Middle East was a large portion of it 
Christian and Christian until the Islamic forces came along and by sword or by eradication uh, removed that Christianity. Places that we now think of like Iraq and Syria and Lebanon, uh, there were Christians there before there were not, and certainly in Turkey. So that's what I would recommend to you. I, I can't say that there's a book that comes to mind about the run-up to that, um, because it usually takes the the form of uh, a Byzantine, you know, if, if you learn Byzantine history, you'll learn the history. If you go to the end of the Byzantine Empire, um, you'll learn the history of the Islamic conquest. So that would be my best recommendation for you. There is a uh, Crowley, Roger Crowley book, uh, 1453, about the fall of Constantinople, that I very much recommend. It's great. I, I think Crowley's histories are fantastic. I liked his um, his Empires of the Sea, which is uh, l- the run-up to Lepanto as well as Lepanto. So I highly recommend uh, you check out anything by Roger Crowley. Uh, he has no idea who I am, by the way. He's a British historian. I don't think he's. I don't think he knows that I've probably sold more Roger Crowley books on this show than like any other media outlet. Uh, Grismay writes, are you on radio or TV? I was just wondering. Have a great day. Uh, well, Grismay, um, I'm certainly talking to you if you're listening to this on radio. Uh, 125 plus stations across the country. And uh, I am on TV both for digital TV at Hill TV, uh, which you can watch at hill.tv, whatever you feel like. And I do Fox News a few times a week. So, yes, I, I think it's fair to say I am both on TV and on radio. And if you go to facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, you can see some of the clips and some of the work that I have done. Uh, Keith writes, Buck, if you have any sources at the White House... Suggest them to have Trump invite the Covington kid, Nick, to the State of the Union address. He could laud the young man for his good behavior in the face of some really atrocious assault. POTUS could also highlight the fake news aspect of the whole event. I like your beard. It makes your massive head look smaller. Well, Keith, thank you. I appreciate that. And I think that the the president's already way ahead of us on the optics of the Covington kids. They're invited to the White House. And yes, I will pass along to my White House contacts that he should be at the State of the Union, wherever that is. All right, that's it in the Freedom Hut Today team. It has been fantastic. It has been an honor, privilege, and a pleasure. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high. Man, the government shut down, politics in a bit of disarray, a lot of fighting over the border wall, but I've always got a smile on my face. You know why? Because I know that every morning when I wake up, the first thing I get to do is have a delicious cup of steamy, delicious, wonderful Black Rifle coffee. Black Rifle Coffee is simply the best coffee you're going to get anywhere, and it's so convenient and easy. You have it sent to your door like I do. Become a member of their coffee club. They'll just send it to you every month. You don't have to worry about buying anymore. You don't have to worry about going to the store anymore, and you'll get delicious roast-to-order coffee that is guaranteed fresh every time it comes to you. And by the way, Black Rifle gives a portion of their sales to veteran and first responder causes. So, Nothing cures a bad attitude, my friends, like starting your day the right way with the most American, freedom-loving, patriotic coffee ever, Black Rifle Coffee. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You'll get 15% off that first order. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. One more time, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck.